0: Have you wondered about uh, Christian nationalism? Well, we'll take up that question on Wisdom 828, where we're dedicated to stamping out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. Hi, I'm Bob Buchanan. Who are you who are so wise? Well, here's a question that a viewer sent in to us Christian leaders like Beth Moore have recently spoken out against. Christian nationalism uh, that they view as dangerous or negative. Now, is there room for nationalism or the love of country for the Christian? Surely not above the love of God and his kingdom, but where does it fit in or doesn't it? What would that look like practically? And what good is it if Christians become apathetic and by default allowing evil to flourish, unwilling to be stirred up to defend and love their neighbor by securing and improving a place where their neighbors can be free? Are we not allowed to defend and champion this country simply because this world is not our home? Well, there are many layers to that question, but I'm going to do my best to focus in on on what I think the writer really wants to get at, and that is, can Christians be patriotic and Christian at the same time? And if so, how should Christians express our patriotism? Now, I'll admit that I had not heard about the term Christian nationalism until Beth Moore, a noted Christian author, tweeted about it on December 14th of 2020. Her comments came in response to, or for lack of a better word, a bizarre rally that thousands of people on the Washington Mall uh, went to on December 12th. And as far as I could tell, the rally had no official sanction or even Common name. It was called "Stop the Steel Rally," or a Trump support rally, or a protest of the election rally, or a stand up for America rally, or all of the above, and perhaps none of the above. What made the rally so strange was the almost messianic overtones of the participants. An Orthodox uh, Orthodox rabbi gave permission to an American-born Israeli man to blow a shofar uh, decorated in red, white, and blue colors. Roman Catholic participants invoked the Virgin Mary and the saints, and one well known American CEO reported a prophetic vision about Donald Trump. There was even a Jericho march during this interfaith rally. Now, apparently, the event was enough for Beth Moore to tweet this warning I do not believe that these days are for mincing words. I'm 63 and a half years old and I have never seen anything in the United States of America that I found more astonishingly seductive and dangerous to the saints of God than Trumpism. This Christian nationalism is not of God. Move back from it. And she got a lot of national attention from the left and the right for all of her comments. So what's going on here? Well, a good place to start is with some definitions. Let's define what we mean by patriotism, nationalism, and then last of all, Christian nationalism. According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, patriotism is, quote, love for and devotion to one's country. Simple. Patriotism may be expressed in pride for one's country, supporting the country, even when that nation goes through difficult times, and a shared sense of identity with others about that nation. And I would add this idea. Patriots uh, will be people of opposing views on politics or policies who share a love for and a devotion to the country. Now, nationalism and patriotism had been used synonymously up until the end of the 19th century. But as we approached the 20th century, the meanings began to drift apart. Nationalism came to mean the exaltation of one nation as superior over others. A nationalist view would place primary emphasis on the promotion of its culture and its interests over those cultures and interests of other nations. Almost any nation can put its name in front of nationalism. It could be American nationalism, English nationalism, South African or Hindu, or Indian nationalism. If nationalism is the exaltation of one nation over another, then Christian nationalism uh, would act in the same way with the added component of a biblical or theological bent. One website put it this way, quote, Christian nationalism seeks to merge Christian and American identities, distorting both the Christian faith and America's constitutional democracy. Christian nationalism demands that Christianity be privileged by the state and implies that to be a good American, one must be a Christian, quote. Another website calls it, quote, a movement that is in the business of merging Christian and American identities, liberally mixing biblical teaching with the principles of constitutional democracy until the line between them is blurred or even erased altogether, end quote. While I don't think that this is true, uh, it, nor is it a good idea to weave biblical language into America's national identity, it's just simply not a, good, it's just simply not a new thing. It reaches as far back as the founding of our nation, Uh, I've been reading books lately about the founding of the Plymouth Colony and the events that were leading up to the Revolutionary War, and the historians show that there was never a shortage of biblical language used during any of those events. William Bradford, Plymouth's first governor, compared the pilgrims to Gideon's army before sailing to America and calls for Americans to join the fight against King George III for independence rang from some of the pulpits around Boston, and most famously from the pulpit of John Witherspoon in Princeton, New Jersey, the sole clergyman who signed the Declaration of Independence. So back to the question that started all of this. Is there a place for uh, the Christian uh, and patriotism? And the answer is yes. Uh, Should we say that America is the greatest nation on earth? Well, that depends on whether or not you can recognize that we are also a flawed nation. Now, I'm reminded of Winston Churchill's quote about democracy when he said, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others that have been tried. Now, as Christians, we should appreciate the ways that God has blessed our nation with its freedoms and its rights that come from God. But at the same time, we have to recognize that we're not a perfect nation. As the framers wrote in the preamble to the U.S. Constitution, the American experiment is a freedom to govern ourselves and and it will always be an attempt quote for to form a more perfect union. So we're still working on it because the corruptions of sin are still a part of every man, woman and child in our union. Now can we be patriotic and a Christian? Well yes, of course. And and with uh, a definitive Christian flavor and here's what I mean. Let's take a cue from Paul who who spoke of his own nation with such loving compassion and warmth. He said this. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, that is cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and he gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Now, Paul surely admires what God had done for his nation, and he deeply appreciated his Jewish brothers and sisters. This kind of patriotism is the right kind, And so I'd recommend that Christians avoid arrogant nationalism and Christian nationalism and instead take Paul's stance of love for his country and countrymen to deepen our desire that many more would come to faith in Christ through the offer of the gospel. Now, there are three ways that our patriotism can go too far. If your patriotism takes a higher place in your heart and mind than following Christ, you have probably forgotten your truest identity. You have forgotten who you are. If you are a Christian, you are first and foremost a citizen of heaven. And that's what Paul said to the Philippians, who were proud to be a Roman colony. They were called a little Rome in their day, and they aspired to the same heights of honor and valor as Rome itself. Although, let's remember, Rome had its very dark side. But Paul reminded them that they belonged to the kingdom of God first, and there was no dark side to that. And they lived by a holy constitution and a glorious set of laws. Now, second, if you believe that America is the world's only hope, you have probably forgotten about the gospel. America is no savior. It will not save the world nor humanity. America does not have a special covenant with God like the Old Testament people of God had, Yes, God has blessed our nation tremendously, and he's used the generosity of Americans to relieve all sorts of pains and and disasters all around the world, but not because we are a chosen people. God had only one nation with a covenant relationship. In fact, let's see our nation from Isaiah's perspective. Isaiah said, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. These are powerful expressions about the inconsequentiality of all the nations when compared to the majesty of God. What are the nations so impressive in their glory and their earth-shaking uh, power? Well the answer is they're just like a, a drop of water falling uh, from a bucket back into the well. Uh, they're like a speck of dust on on the pan of the balance scales. It doesn't even cause the scales to flutter. Both are fleeting and don't get much notice. Daniel wrote that God is sovereign over the kingdoms of mortals, and he gives it to whom he will. God executes judgment, putting down one ruler and lifting up another. And the apostle Paul himself preached that God made all the nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he designated the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live. Now, if you were born in America, there's a place for proper love for your homeland because God decided that you should be born there. All you need to do is to travel or live in a foreign country for a short period of time to realize how great it is just to get back home. For a brief time, our family lived in Tokyo, Japan. It was a great experience getting into a whole different culture. But when it came time to return to the U.S., we were glad to be back home because that's how it felt. It felt like home, like where we belong. And uh, there were a lot of wonderful experiences in Japan, but we were home now. Now, third, if you believe that American institutions of government or culture are without flaws, you've probably forgotten about the doctrine of original sin. Now, please don't hear me say that every institution in American life is bad or evil, but we do have to recognize that institutions like cultures are made up of people who are way short of caring about God's glory. All people, Paul tells us in Romans 3, are born with a terrible problem. We lack what it takes to glorify God with our lives, much less care about loving his glory. Whether that institution is the family, the small town city council, or the United States Senate, the people who populate all of those institutions do so with a multitude of motives, some good, some selfish, attitudes, some caring, some hateful, ambitions and plans. Even the best of men and women are men and women at best. And that is the reason why Paul commands us to pray for leaders in every institution. I urge you, he says, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God, our savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Now there's one more reminder that we need when thinking about patriotism in our Christian faith. And it's from one of the most important scenes in the book of Revelation, and it helps to put patriotism, I think, in its proper place. John is looking at the throne where Christ, as the Lamb of God, is being worshipped. And around the throne are four living creatures and, they all, and, and the 24 elders, and they all sang a new song. And here's the song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to break open the seals, for you were killed, and by your sacrificial death, you bought for God people from every tribe, language, nation, and race. You have made them a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they shall rule on the earth. Now, on this side of the new heavens and new earth, we may love our nation, our homeland, without uh, sidelining our Christian faith, even at the same time, identifying as citizens of heaven. As citizens of heaven, we long to join with every tribe, every language, every nation, every ethnicity saved by Christ's blood, made into a kingdom of priests, to serve God. That's who we really are now and most uh, will be uh, fully in days to come at the return of Jesus. Well, that's all for today. Thanks for joining me and thanks to Steve Dyan behind the camera, a true citizen of heaven working to make Wisdom 828 fulfill its mission of stamping out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. You be of good cheer.